0: Welcome. This is Reb Brad, volunteer chaplain to the Colorado Rapids and founder and executive director of Soccer Chaplains United. You're listening to our podcast, From the Touchline. I wanted to take a quick moment and ask you, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, would you take a moment and give us a rating or leave a comment for us? We want to keep bringing a good word, whether through the interviews or through the other content here on From the Touchline. This past week, I went back to listen to the very first episode, You know, sometimes we need to go back to the beginning and we need to remind ourselves of our direction, our purpose. Not that things can't change or shift, but, you know, sometimes we have mission drift and we lose sight of what we started out to do in the very beginning. Well, the first episode talked about being a source of encouragement and talking about faith, family, and football. Well, as a chaplain and the host of this podcast, I hope that as you listen, you will be encouraged. No matter where you are in the game, whether you're an elite footballer or a passionate fan, whether a coach or just someone who works in and around the game of soccer. Right now, if you're like me, you're probably tired of all the coronavirus stuff. And there's likely a lot of questions that are still in your heart and mind. Will school happen in the fall? Will sports resume? What will life look like on the other side of this? Today, I want to introduce us to a person who, with the hope that from her story, we might gain some encouragement and strength to persevere through this time that is, and the time that is still to come. Regardless of where you and I are at, and aside from the varying responses and challenges because of the global pandemic, I think this lady will bring us hope and maybe even a good course of action. After all, she lived through 12 years of quarantine. We're back to meet her right after this. He's
1: found the space, and he's found the back of the net. Just a little off foot thinking he's gonna go far post, not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post. Almost made a in and they have. He has the hat-trick. The second in his career. The third of the night. The hat-trick hero. Talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner. Goes towards the near post. And you're on the angle. Of what a goal! What a goal!
0: So to start, I wish I knew this woman's name. When I get to heaven, this is one of the people that I have on a list to meet and to hear her story firsthand. If you want to meet her here, you can follow along with me. Grab a Bible and turn to the gospel according to Mark. We'll be in chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. I'll give you just a second to get there. It's Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Now, this story is one of those in the Bible that is so powerful. It's told by multiple gospel authors. You can read and gain some additional insights from Matthew 9, 18-26, and Luke 8, 41-56, and I'll leave these in the liner notes so you can follow and catch up with them later. But because Mark is one of the first to capture this account and to tell us, and the fact that he devotes a lot of time to the story and gives deeper detail, I want us to listen to Mark's account. I've asked my best mate, Fraser K., to record this passage for us, so listen as Fraser reads, Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43.
1: When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher any more? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion, with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha koum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat.
0: Thanks, Razor. This story is so rich and full. There is no way I can do it justice in the few minutes that we have here today, but I want to give it a shot at least. I encourage you to perhaps go away from this podcast and put it down as a challenge to read and reread and study Mark five twenty-one through forty-three this week. So the first person that we actually meet in the story, besides Jesus, is a man named Jairus. Let me talk about him for a moment. Jairus was the local synagogue ruler. This was a pretty important position and title for a person back in the day. For the Jewish people, their faith was vitally important. It was central. It was a part of everyday life, and it was upheld with a super high value. The synagogue ruler was usually a lay person. In other words, they weren't a rabbi or teacher, but their position was in keeping up the local synagogue, so it was pretty important. They usually had administrative duties. They would oversee worship. Maybe we could say that they were like a deacon, if you're familiar with that that title or that church role. They had to be a person that was of upstanding uh, repute and respected. They had to know the scriptures and the law well. They ensured the safety and preservation of the scrolls, and they made sure that the people coming to synagogue were proper and in order. So we see Jairus as a father come and fall down in front of Jesus, begging him to heal his dying daughter. I feel for Jairus. I've been in positions before where I've seen one of my own daughters suffering. I remember when my oldest, Brianna, broke her arm, and they were wheeling her away for surgery in this massive hospital bed, and here her tiny little five-year-old frame looked so small and frail in that big hospital bed. I've also held my other daughter, Kaylee, as she lay in a hospital bed in excruciating pain with a burst appendix at age 11. So I get Jairus. I get where he's at. I kind of feel like I resonate a little bit with Jairus as a father coming to Jesus on behalf of his daughter who's dying. And Mark records this earnest plea of a daddy for his daughter. Jairus says, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. In what was a common practice back then, a respected rabbi, teacher, or religious person would lay their hands on someone and pray. The laying on of hands back in those days was usually for one of a few reasons. It was either to consecrate or set something apart or for a particular purpose, or it was to impart a divine gift, and, and also it was also to create a strong bond or identity or identification between someone or something. So, here, G- Jarius is asking Jesus for that divine gift of healing. Now, let me pause here for a moment. Recently, I've had some family members go through some difficult medical issues, and this unrelated to coronavirus. You know, friends, maybe you've had a loved one who is sick with cancer, or, or they've even had COVID-19, or some other debilitating physical issue or illness, or maybe they are even actively dying right now. I just want to encourage you, go to Jesus plead for their healing, pray for their healing. He can do it. What I love about Mark and really respect is the way he recounts this story, though, and he sets us up to see so many things that are in paradox and so many contrasts, and I'll try and point these out as we go, but hold on to Jairus' request for a moment. He says, come and put your hands on her. So, Jesus is on the way, and this account of him going to heal a little girl gets interrupted. And here's where I want you to pay close attention because every detail has meaning. Look over if, if you're in front of a Bible right now or recount with me a little bit as, as Fraser did the reading through the scripture. Here we have a woman subject to bleeding, and we know that she's been suffering for 12 years. Some of the things that we see from, from Mark's account is she spent everything that she's had, all her money. And the problem is she's never gotten better she's only gotten worse. And, and we see her thinking as, as, I don't know who interviewed her, maybe Mark interviewed her, or maybe, maybe the story got told around the disciples, but we understand that she's thinking, if I just touch Jesus's clothes, I'll be healed. Now, this power in the story grows as we understand a few things. First of all, women in ancient times were not well-respected or honored. Maybe a little bit better in the Jewish tradition, but it was still a male-centric culture. Everything revolved around men. They were the spiritual leaders, they were the economic leaders, and so on and so forth. So, the fact that Jesus puts attention to this woman needs to be noted. The bleeding issue for this woman meant that she was perpetually ceremonially unclean, and this was an actual title or an actual state uh, position. So, going back to the Levitical law, we read in Leviticus 15.25, it says this, When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge. Now, I want you to stop and think for a moment. Pause, because this woman has been 12 years dealing with this bleeding issue. Think about what that would have meant. She's excluded from worship, unable to go to the synagogue. People couldn't touch her. People couldn't touch the things that she had touched without becoming unclean themselves. And there's there's a lot of other ripple effects of of her uncleanliness that, that it would have had on her and her interactions with other people and society and life. This woman likely lived in isolation. She was in a Jewish lockdown. She couldn't go anywhere. She couldn't be with anyone. Social distancing was in place. She could never go to church. She could never be in a public place where she might come in contact with someone. And the responsibility rested with her not to touch or be touched. The onus was on her to try and fund and find a cure, to find a way to become clean again. For 12 years, my friends, think about living like this, 12 years. And I know some of you are in different circumstances. I live in a house. I have a yard. We back to open space so we can get out. We can feel a little bit of fresh air. We live in Colorado. Some of you live in apartments, you're in a tiny place, maybe in a, an urban setting. Can you think of someone that lived in a, in a tight, confined space or even in the town and village that she lived in for 12 years of quarantine? I know some people can't go 12 days of quarantine before they start going crazy and they have more space and, and more than I have. So think of it, friends, 12 years of living in this way. And by the time we meet this woman, she's spent all her money, she's been searching for the vaccine, looking for the cure, looking for a solution, she's seen all the experts and the doctors, she has likely tried the home remedies as well as the prescribed medications. And she's likely been taken advantage of by the medical professions of the day. She was so desperate, I can imagine she probably even paid the quack selling a secret elixir on the late night infomercial. And she didn't have Netflix. She had no online streaming to help her still feel connected or to have something to do. She was alone. She was restricted. And she is at the end. The end of her rope. The end of her hope. But she comes. She boldly comes. She boldly believes. You know, maybe she had to disguise herself to get that close to Jesus. Maybe in the wild excitement of the crowd... I imagine she had to avoid eye contact. Maybe she had to veil her face, change her clothes so that no one would recognize her. Imagine her neighbors and villagers who who realized she was there or that she was among them. They would have shrunk back, I imagine, in horror as she pushed her way through the throng of people and her last hope to simply touch Jesus's robe. Here is a woman, a person so desperate for a touch. And yet it was religiously forbidden for her or for anyone else to touch without becoming unclean. For a person living in the time and and, in a culture where religious life was central to everything, to be excluded would have had a devastating effect. And so, with 12 years of frustration, 12 years of isolation with resolute poverty at the end of her means, at the end of her hope, she stretches out her hand, she reaches out and she grasps at a last straw, at a last sliver of hope. When I get to heaven, I want to ask her, <laughs> how much did you get a hold of? Was it a, a mere brush, a handful of the cloak? Did, did she give a firm tug, you know, almost like th- that midfielder passing you by and, and you pull the shirt to, to keep him back? Or was it the slightest, slightest of touches? We read, immediately, she was healed, immediately. Mark, the gospel author who is always moving with swiftness and has such a way of telling the gospel with a speed and pace that is dizzying, hits us with this moment that seems to bring the whole story of Jesus to a screeching halt. And we see she's healed. She's freed. Friends, have you stopped to think about coronavirus and what it's doing to our world, Have you stopped to think about the quarantine and the lockdown and how it's forcing people to perhaps for the first time or for the first time in a long time, again, to seek God? COVID-19 is a bleeding issue that isn't going away. It's a disease that's excluding people and people are desperate and desperately seeking for an answer, a vaccine for peace. Everything is spent Everything of value is being expended. The stock market is wildly unreliable. The political system is struggling to give answers. The doctors and medical experts are divided and paralyzed. The frontline nurses and healthcare workers are weary and tired. The professional and collegiate athlete is afraid. The church pastor and religious leader is worried. The business owner is facing bankruptcy and loss, and we see our sons and daughters dying amidst it all. The world is crowded and hurried, and in the midst of a pressing crowd, we're all reaching and grasping and reaching out to touch, even if it's just a hem of his robe. The contrast here is illustrated by Mark is is palpable. Who touched my clothes? Jesus knows that something has happened. Power has gone out. His question seems ridiculous to his friends, but someone touched him. Not indiscriminately, but with purpose, with faith, a saving faith, a healing faith, a freeing faith. When the woman comes clean with Jesus, no pun intended, she realizes not just a physical healing, but a spiritual one as well. The whole of her past 12 years has been redeemed, restored, healed. Her faith, her doubt, wherever she was in relationship with God has been amazingly transformed. What's interesting is to come to consider the guy standing there, Jarius. Given Jarius's role and position, he's likely the person who would have known about her condition and told her, look, you can't worship in the synagogue. That's right. Get this. It's likely that Jarius was the one who had to turn her away, telling her that, hey, until you're healed, until you're clean, you can't come in here. You can't come to synagogue. You can't worship God. You can't be with your brothers and sisters, with your people. Now, I don't know if Jairus felt a sense of urgency about Jesus coming to see his daughter. Certainly, he believed that Jesus could heal this little girl. But did he believe that Jesus could heal this woman? Was he begrudgingly disappointed that Jesus stopped, that he was interrupted by this woman? I wonder if he was in a hurry for Jesus to move on and come to his house. I think, as a father, I would have been. Even as Jesus is talking with this woman, we see the news arrive Jairus' daughter is dead. No need to come anymore. No need to bother Jesus anymore. But Jesus tells Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe. I wonder if these would be the words that Jesus would tell us in the midst of this pandemic. For the business owner forced to close down doors, don't be afraid, just believe. For the nurse who is working at the hospital in New York City, don't be afraid, just believe. For the athlete whose sport is shut down and contract and things are in jeopardy, don't be afraid, just believe. For the one who's been laid off, fired, or furloughed, Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. For the one sick with coronavirus or another illness, don't be afraid, just believe. Well, as we round out the story Jesus goes on, he and his closest disciples enter into Jairus' house, and with her parents present, Jesus takes the girl by the hand and tells her to get up, and he raises her to life, and she's healed. Now, I know we've gone long, but I want to point out all the parallels and contrasts and paradoxes in Mark's account of these two healings. And I want to encourage you to make a study of it and even consider what the modern-day parallels might be for you and for your family or for your faith. Here are some things to notice and reflect on. Jairus is named in the story. The woman with bleeding is unnamed. The woman has been suffering for the last 12 years. Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. This woman would have been excluded from worship and community, and Jarius, as I pointed out, would have been the one likely to speak with her and enforce that exclusion. Jairus asks Jesus to touch his daughter. The woman with bleeding seeks to touch Jesus, or at least his clothes. Jairus has hired professional mourners at great cost, while this woman has spent all she has to find a cure, and so we might believe or understand she's poor and has nothing left. Jairus' daughter dies or falls asleep. The woman with bleeding has been socially dead for years. But both the daughter and the woman are healed by Jesus. The woman is healed in the midst of a throng. The daughter, with just her parents, Jesus, and a few disciples present. And notice this: What does Jesus call the woman? Look at Mark 5:34. Look at how Jesus names her. How the term that he gives to her. And I want you to notice, too, that the professional mourners, they laugh at Jesus when he says the girl isn't dead. Friends, I could go on, but the main thing I want to do is I want you to go away today, and I want you to understand in the midst of this global pandemic that Jesus sees you. He knows you. He's able to heal you and help you, whether you are named or nameless, whether you are rich or you don't have a penny left to your name, whether you are a son or daughter, or you have been living in isolation for many years. His desire is to see you be healed. And the physical healing is one thing, but it's the spiritual healing, the salvation, the freedom that he truly desires for you. His word for you and for me is, don't be afraid, just believe. In closing, I want to offer a prayer. There are so many that need a touch from Jesus right now, today, in the midst of this global pandemic, and this woman who has lived for 12 years in quarantine teaches us so much about how we can come to Jesus, and the story powerfully illustrates the way that Jesus is so willing and able to heal and transform us from death to life. Pray with me, if you will. Jesus, we need a touch from you. Our sons and daughters are dying. Come lay your hands on us. Jesus, if we could but touch a strand or string from your robe, we might be healed from all that separates us from each other and from you. Let us press on until we can reach out and touch, even if it's just your clothes. Jesus, we need physical healing. We need emotional healing. We need spiritual healing. Our faith and our hope have been bleeding, and we are slowly dying inside. Give us the command. Raise us up to new life regardless of our name or our position or place in life, regardless of our wealth or our poverty, regardless of our race or our gender, regardless of our faith or our lack thereof, touch us with your power. Heal us through and through. Help us to endure. Amen. This is Reb Brad coming to you from the Touchline.